All right. Well, I'm excited to share with you today. We, um, uh, it's actually Palm Sunday in the church calendar. Today is the Sunday where we would celebrate the arrival of Jesus going into Jerusalem on a donkey, coming in, and all the people would be laying down their coats and clothes in front of him. They'd be waving palm branches, which is what you would do for a king, and they would be hailing him as the future king of Israel. That's really what was happening. And, um, but, but, you know, four or five days later, he was on a cross. And so that's what happened. They thought they knew what he was here for. They thought they knew how things would be. But things were different. Jesus came for a different reason. We know why he came. He came to die on that cross. And then he rose again from the death, dead and he defeated death. And so that's when the movement, the series we've been in is called The Movement. The movement started when Jesus rose again from the dead. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is very, very pivotal. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that changed history for you and I. And it started the movement, the church, and the work of God in the earth. And so it's exciting. So today we're going to continue to dig into the series called the movement. We start off in week one. If you missed any of these, we start in week one looking at the overall movement. Joel did a great job of talking about the movement and Jesus wanting us to be part of what he's doing. And then in week two, I looked at being sent, how that God is ascending God. And he's been sending all through history, sends his Holy Spirit. He sent his son to die for us. He sent Adam and Eve into the garden and he sends you and I into the world to make a difference. So that was week um, week two, week three, last week, Joel talked about how God sends ordinary people. Kind of drilled down a little bit more on it, just saying, look, all of us are sent. All of us have gifting. All of us are vital to the Lord. And then today I'm going to continue on. You know, I got to say something. I believe God has something significant in this message today. And I'll tell you why. I had a hard time with this message. I really struggled. I really felt more opposition yesterday in preaching than I have in a long time. I got up this morning at 5.30 and preached this message twice in my basement, trying to get it out, trying to get it done, because I was struggling, and finally I had some breakthrough. I'm being honest with you. Some things are tough, and I'm like, why is this so hard? You know why? Because I think the enemy wants to keep us bound in our calling and in what we do in our lives. And what I'm going to talk about today is really important. It is a concept that has been in the church for 1,700 years. This concept I'm going to talk about today has kept people bound, has separated people, has made people think that they're not called, that they're not empowered by God to do things for 1,700 years. So when I started thinking, why am I struggling with this? I thought, I know why. Because there's an enemy of our souls that doesn't want anybody to step out further or to break free from where they are right now into what God has for them. So I believe that God has something for you and I today. I believe wherever we're at in this journey, God is wanting us to be part of the movement. And I believe there's next steps that he has for each of us. Now, before I get into what I'm going to talk about, I want to show a picture. I won't show a picture yet, but I want to talk about my dad. I don't think I've talked about my dad before in my service, not very often, but my dad was a minister, and uh, he was the night church minister, and he was immediately ordained, and uh, they said, where do you want to go? And he said, I'll leave it up to you, and they sent him to five little churches in New Brunswick, 
send the rookie to the five little churches in New Brunswick. And that's where me and my brother were born. And my dad was uh, what would be termed a member of the clergy. That's what he was. I remember very much. He, uh, I'll show a picture of him here. I think um, there he is. So this is my dad and my brother. I realized looking through my albums, I didn't have very many pictures of my dad with his clerical collar. In fact, I think that's the only one I have. So you can see my dad there. He's probably just a bit older than Joel is right now, actually. And that's my brother, Peter. I don't know if I'm alive or not. Depends on how old Peter is. We're 21 months apart. But uh, that's my dad. And you can see he's wearing his clerical collar. So he's got a black shirt and he's got his white collar. And that's often, if you've followed that, I mean, more traditional churches, um, the, the clergy, the pastor would wear a clerical collar. So that's what my dad wore. And he was clergy. I remember one of the things that, that I thought was interesting is he had a sticker on his car and it said clergy. And I thought, I asked him, like, why do you have that sticker on your car that says clergy? And he said, well, because um, if there's a problem or an emergency or something, then people know why I'm there. They'll know I'm the, I'm the pastor, I'm the minister. And they're like, oh, come in, you know, help us. So he had this sticker on his car and it might be something like that. It was a little different than that. Now I was looking into this because I don't know if people still do it today. And, I, and there's also another slide here. We could all get stickers here. There we go, look at this. You could, pastor, deacon, elder, your text. You could say uh, whatever you wanted to put with a cross beside it on your car. I don't know, I thought it was very interesting. But my dad had a reason. Like I said, he wanted to identify his role if there was a problem. So clergy, so what, is, what does that mean? Well, the concept of clergy started back in the day of Constantine when, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And that's when you had what was called a clergy-laity divide is what happened. So you had the clergy, like my dad. So the clergy would be, like, I would be a clergy, right? Pastor. That would be a clergy. Joel's a clergy, officially. Like people who are in, you know, pastoral ministry, who are trained and so forth, they'd be considered clergy. But then you had what's called the laity. Heard this before? The laity. You had the clergy and you had the laity. Now, if you're here and you're like, I've never heard of this, that's probably even good. Can I just say that? It's probably not bad that you've never heard of this because the concept of clergy and laity is a concept, like I said, that's kind of divided people in what they've looked at and how they functioned in serving Jesus. So uh, the, the whole idea of clergy versus laity is you've got a professional, the pastor, minister, somebody who's trained, who's the clergy, who's the leader, and then you have the laity who are you know, more involved with secular work. You've got the sacred, the pastor, the clergy, and you have the secular, everybody else that does anything else. Okay, that's kind of the thinking. And so they might be involved in church life. They might be involved in doing those things, but they, they wouldn't be the experts. They wouldn't be the most prepared. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's more the idea. I like what uh, Eugene Peterson says about this. He says, within the Christian community, there are few words that are more disabling than layperson and laity. The words convey the impression, an impression that quickly solidifies into a lie, that there is a two-level hierarchy among the men and women who follow Jesus. There are those who are trained, sometimes referred to as the called, the professionals who are paid to preach, teach, and provide guidance in the Christian way, occupying the upper level. The lower level is made up of everyone else, those whom God assigned jobs as storekeepers, lawyers, journalists, parents, and computer programmers. 
Okay, so you've got you've got the experts, you've got kind of the vocational people. They carry the ball. They're the experts, and you've got everybody else. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the picture. And theologian Karl Barth, he put it even more bluntly. Here's what he said. The term laity is one of the worst in the vocabulary of religion and ought to be banished from Christian conversation. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Carl. Um, yeah, it's pretty direct. So clergy versus laity. This is kind of a concept I want to unpack. So we're going to have an opener question. If you've been here last few weeks, you know that we've kind of threaded more questions into our services. The idea is just to get people talking and thinking about some of the things that we're working on. And so here's the first kind of opening questions. How do you think you have correctly or incorrectly viewed leadership within a church in the past? Where are you at with that? And do you view your own call to be whatever you're doing to be any less than that of a leader in the church, okay? How do you view your call? Is it as significant, less significant? Take a moment. Think about that, okay? And then we'll, and you can, if you're with someone else, you can talk to them briefly, and we'll be right back. Okay, well, maybe that gave you just a little bit of time to think about that or ponder that, where you're at. Where are you at in your thinking? I think it's important to know where we're starting from. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit further here. What actually do these terms mean? Here's the interesting part. The word clergy and the word laity actually don't mean what we've assigned the meaning to them. Isn't that interesting? So they mean something completely different. Here's what clergy means. Clergy comes from a Greek word which means appointed or endowed ones. And what it refers to is not to special leaders, but to the inheritance that the people of God receive and share in Jesus. So what it actually means is appointed or endowed ones. It's talking about the inheritance we all have. So in that sense, we're all clergy. <laughs> That'll blow some minds. We're all people who are endowed with God's inheritance and blessing. And, and what they were doing, though, by using that term for specific people or for specific leaders is they were saying they're more endowed. They are more special. Do you hear what I'm saying? But actually, that's not the implication of the word. It means all of us and what we share. And also, it includes everyone. It includes Jews. It includes the Gentiles. It includes everybody in that. Now, laity is a word that was used by Clement of Rome in the first century. And it wasn't in reference to a second-class person in the church. It was re referring to the people of God. The word laity actually just means the people of God. 
So that means it includes not only all of us here, but anyone else who would have a leadership role or walk in some uh, significant position that way. We're all the people of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? So again, it was used more to refer to people uh, as being, again, the, the leaders, and then you had everybody else. Now, again, this comes from the time of Constantine in the fourth century. And He's the one who created what we would call the cathedral church model, right? You know what I'm talking about. So think about it. Before Constantine, where did churches meet? Where did churches function primarily? Where, where did they function in the first century? They functioned in homes primarily, although they might have maybe had some larger gathering places at times, but they were way less conspicuous and they were way less, um, you know, structured as far as buildings, big cathedrals. But in the time of Constantine, when Christianity, when Roman Empire embraced Christianity, everything shifted, went to a, a cathedral church model. And here, here's the five myths. Got to hear this. Here's the five myths that started to be presented, that you had a special person running a special service in a special building on a special day for a special fee. Those are the things that started happening. Do you hear, do you hear all those five things? So everything became very focused on a building, very focused on a certain individuals who were leading. And what you had is you had a divide where all of a sudden it, the people that were gifted and able to do the work that God had them to do was only a select few. And everybody else needed them. Everybody else needed to come to them to receive, to gain wisdom. In fact, in those days, people didn't even have their own Bibles, really till later on, much later on. So they actually depended on the church and on the leaders to teach them. They didn't actually have their own Bibles. So there was a mindset then that built over hundreds of years. Like we're talking 1,700 or so years that this has been the case. So God has something for us in this, I believe. And I think the idea for all of us is what is reality then? So everything I've just shared with you is this reality. Is this what the Bible teaches? Actually, it doesn't teach this because here's what it teaches in 1 Peter 2. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then look at verse 9. This is really, really important. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, now look at this for a minute. This is called the, the priesthood of all believers. This is what we would refer to as this statement here. It says, you're a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. We'll look at that in a minute, what that means. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's speaking of all of us, folks. All of us. This is what we are. A priesthood of believers. We are all called to this. And we need to actually go back to Exodus 19 in the Old Testament to look at what this is referring to. This is actually going back to God's original intent with Israel. All right? Are you with me on this? I know there's a little bit of teaching to this, but I think it's really important sometimes that we understand background. We understand why things are different than the maybe the way we're living. So here's what it says. This is Moses goes up the mountain to receive the instructions for the people. 
And when he's there, here's what God says to him. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, he's talking about Israel, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Think about that. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation and a treasured possession. Does this sound at all like 1 Peter 2 a little bit? Kind of does, doesn't it? There's some similar phraseology here. So what was God saying to, um, to the Israelites? Well, what he was telling them was that they, they were called out by him to be special. He made a special covenant with them, and they were to be a kingdom of priests. You know what priests do? Priests are mediators, right? Now, you think of the Old Testament. A priest was someone who took the, um, the offerings that were presented and put them on the altar and presented them to God for the forgiveness of, of the people's sins, right? The priests did that. And so they were mediators. They were in between people and God in a sense, right? And, and so here's the thing that was supposed to happen with Israel. It was supposed to be a kingdom where people were connecting with God and relating to God. But here's, here's the thing that they didn't realize and they forgot. They were meant to be an example to all the other nations. God wasn't just blessing them and establishing them for themselves. He, his goal was that the rest of the world would be touched by Israel, that they would be impacted. they like, this is how you serve God. And people are like, well, we want to serve him too. But here's what happened. The problem with Israel is they forgot that. Number one, they forgot their call. They forgot who they were. And so, and so they stopped being intentional. They stopped living sacrificially. They stopped doing what God called them to do. And then the other thing is they became idolatrous. They totally turned their focus away from focusing on God and they got sidetracked by all sorts of other things. That's why they got removed from their land. They were full of evil. They, they were idolatrous. They forgot the whole thing. That was Israel. So then come to the New Testament. Come to us. And think about what God wants to do with us. He's using the same terminology. But now it's not just a nation. It's not just one country. It's the whole world. And what he's saying is, I want all my people to be this priesthood. I want them all to be those people presenting sacrifices to me and offerings to me and also a sign to the world. I want them to be the conveyors of my grace to the whole world that everyone would look at the church and they'd say, we want to be like them. We want to follow Jesus too. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the picture. So you had the nation of Israel. Now you have the church. Now you have God's people. And God wants to do the same thing even more with them, with all of us. And that's exciting. I'm kind of getting excited about that. <laughs> because there's an aspect there of being separate. Treasured possession and holy nation is how God referred to Israel. Treasured possession. Holy nation speaks of the holiness, the way they were to live. The separation they were to have to him would would represent something to the world. You know, if we look at our culture today, we look at Christianity. I think that two of these problems are really prevalent. One is we are we can forget what our call is. We can forget who we are. We can forget collectively what God wants to do through our lives and how how the call is so grand and so big for all of us, not just a few. And secondly, we can get sidetracked by sin. We can forget that we're to be a holy people, a consecrated people. 
See, if we forget the reason why we live the way we do and the reason why we want to be separated unto God, we won't live for him anymore. What's the point? But if we remember that our separation unto him and our holiness and the way we we serve him in trueness and love is going to be not only for our own sakes, but for the good of the world, that gives us a purpose, folks, doesn't it? That gives us a reason to say no to sin. Gives us a reason to push back at this world that is pushing in on us. The more I read right now about what's happening in Christianity, it's shocking. There is an invasion of the enemy trying to cause believers to let go of their faith, to let go of their standards. I feel like God says, church, don't let go of your standards. Hold it higher. In this shine in this world of darkness. Be not afraid to be who you're called to be. We need to be. We need to be. And God wants us to be. And he wants to call us into that. So in the Old Testament, the priests offered sacrifices, right? For the people. And there was bulls and goats, so forth. If we are a royal priesthood now, What sacrifices do you and I offer? Seriously, if we are a priesthood of believers and we're called to offer sacrifices, what what do we offer? Well, it's a good question. Thanks for asking me that. The question, the answer is ourselves. Now, we know that on the cross, Jesus was the sacrifice for all of our sins. We know once and for all, he paid the price so that you and I do not have to pay the price through how we live or things that we do. That's filthy rags. We cannot do that in our good works, right? But there is sacrifices as priests that we are meant to bring to him. And here it is, Romans 12. Look look at this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. Church, do not conform. Do not conform. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't let go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You and I are the living sacrifice. You and I are the sacrifice. Our lives is the sacrifice. Look what, I like what John Piper says. It's a great quote. Look what he says. God wants visible, lived out, bodily evidence that our lives are built on his mercy. Just as worshipers in the Old Testament denied themselves some earthly treasure, a sheep, a goat, a bull, and carried their sacrifices to the altar of blood and fire, so we deny ourselves some earthly treasure or ease or comfort and carry ourselves our bodies, for Christ's sake, to the places and the relationships and the crises in this world where mercy is needed. Wow, that's, a, that's rich if you unpack it. You and I are the sacrifice. The way we live, the things we give up, the things we let go, they are a pleasing sacrifice to God. Why? So that God can, so we can go to places where we carry God's grace. You know, I believe more than ever, and I'm stirred in my spirit about this, that God has so much more for all of us here. Listen, I feel like, you know, I told you how tough this was for me to put together. I told you how opposed I felt. It's because there's latent potential in this room. It's because there's so much God has here in each of you. 
And if you and I don't believe it, if you and I limit ourselves with our thinking, with the way we view things, if we don't believe, we can just wander. We can just kind of live out the days. God says, no. No, do you, do you know who you are? Do you know what I did for you? Do you know what I've empowered you with? Do you know what I've put in you? There is more for you. And I want you to, to use you and move through you for, for my glory and for your good so you can reach this world. So you can touch lives and touch other people and make a difference. I'm not saying you're not doing that. I know you are. I know you're making a difference. But I believe there's even more. And I believe for all of us, God's saying, take the blinders off. Take the limits off and see what I want to do. So here's the question then. If, um, if that's the case, right? So remember we talked clergy laity. Back to that picture. So you got clergy, laity. The old thinking is clergy are the specialists. Clergy are the special people. Laity is everybody else. Well, if it's all of us, if we're all in the same category and we're all empowered the same way, then what do leaders do? What are leaders supposed to do then? Are they, is there anything different that leaders are supposed to provide? Yes, Ephesians 4. Here's what it says. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So here's the challenge for us who are leaders, church leaders. The, the challenge and the calling of, that we have is to equip people for works of service, to equip other people. See, here's the problem is that whole clergy laity mindset that started in 325 or whatever it was AD, it caused people to begin to outsource their faith. <laughs> outsource their faith. Rather than doing everything themselves, rather than feeling that they were, were called and empowered themselves, they began to think, no, it's actually somebody else, not me. And I'm going to outsource my faith to someone else. And see, the reality is for us leaders, we're not called to outsource your faith. We're not called to provide that. We're called to equip you. And I just got to say something. I know that this church has done some things to equip in the past, but I, in going through this, realized, God, we need to do a better job. We need to do more. Lord, show us how to equip our people. And that's part of what we're working on. That's part of what we're looking forward to is how do we equip you? How do we help you to be who you're called to be because that's our role primarily you know they always say you can feed a man a fish or you can teach him to fish right feed him a fish you like that don't you richie feed him a fish he's good for a day you're teaching a fish he's good for a lifetime we need to be able to teach each other the things that are going to help us grow so let's look at this for a minute here um, what do we mean by outsourcing let me give you some ideas and then we'll be done so outsourcing would be like saying, well, I want to hear from God. I want to be encouraged by the scriptures. Well, I'll rely on my pastor to do that. Every week when I go to church, I'm going to hear that from my pastor. My pastor's going to hear from me. He's going to teach me. Now, listen, that's important. Don't get me wrong. Anything I share here is important. It's important that I bring the word of God to you, Joel, that others who preach, Val, that when we preach in thee, when we preach the word of God, that we're, we're feeding you. That's important. That needs to happen. But see, if that's all it is, that's deficient. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're depending on what I'm providing you, 
you're probably an anemic Christian, like on your own. Like you need more. I'm serious. You need more than what I could give you. All right? And to the worship team, it'd be like saying, we're going to outsource our worship to the worship team. And so once a week, these guys do this and I have a good worship time, which it was great today. And God came and, and we need that. Don't get me wrong. But there needs to be more, more than that in our lives, doesn't it? Isn't that just kind of like a kickstart? Isn't that like an opportunity? But there's more than that. Or how about to the kids' ministry, right? Like, Lisa, you did a great job today. That was awesome. Like, good story. And the kids enjoyed it. But let me just say something. If that was all the kids got in a week, that would be bad, right? And my son says, yep. And that's, a good, that's good to hear that. That's good to hear that. So, so that would be bad, right? That would not be enough. <laughs> if that was totally outsourced, to the church or youth ministry. I remember one time I was a youth pastor when we were youth pastors and, and this parent came and just reamed us out because his daughter was struggling. And we hardly knew his daughter, to be honest. She had never even come to youth ministry, but we were the youth pastors. We should have had impact. She shouldn't be struggling. It was tough. He eventually came back and apologized, which he needed to. Because really, like we were doing our best, but his daughter's problems were not all of our issue. In fact, probably more on him, right? So we can't outsource. Um, even outreach, you know, we can say, well, you know, those people do the outreach and we support, or even prayer. There might be a prayer ministry and we say, well, those people do the praying. No, listen, we all do all these things. Does that make sense? So this can be a problem. Again, these are important things. Churches need to provide them. It's true. But what happens needs to go way beyond this, where we each have our faith, where we're each walking in a way that we're growing, we're being built, and we're helping others be built. If we're going to be a priesthood of all believers, it's going to require us um, to have intentional leadership to equip people. Like us as leaders, we need to intentionally be equipping if this movement's going to happen in our church and it's going to move beyond here, we need to be equipping. But secondly, everyone needs to embrace that all, all of, that God has for them. Everybody needs to embrace what God is doing in their lives. Everyone needs to run their race. <laughs> Heard that before, right? Got to get, get back to the forerunner somehow. We need to run our race, each of us. And so that's the picture. We're all connected there's not two classes, but there are leaders who equip. And, and then all of us are running our race, knowing what God's called us to do and making an impact. I'm going to ask Joel to come up and just share briefly something he shared with me this week about the whole outsourcing idea. Give him a big clap. He's awesome. a really, really important concept um, for us. And, uh, and, and one of the big ways that we've been learning this um, is even just in coming to Calgary um, and in moving here. So when we were involved in our other church in uh, Cranbrook and we had kind of this um, a really, really cool youth ministry or we had, well, we did have youth ministry and we had kids ministry and all that sort of stuff. I just realized like how much I was outsourcing that, how much I was depending, um, on that. And we moved here, right. And we came, uh, came to be a part of this church. And then obviously through COVID where even kids ministry is, is a lot of things that we can't do with it. I think the thing that I'm, the thing that I'm seeing in all this is we need to take ownership for this stuff. 
that we can't outsource this stuff to Ian and Val. We can't outsource this to me. Please don't ever do that. Like, we can't outsource, we can't outsource this to others. We need to take our own responsibility for our own discipleship to Jesus. And then for parents, and I do want to encourage you, it is your role to disciple your kids. It is your role to teach them, to lead them, to talk to them about Jesus. It's your role to model that. Be really careful anytime that you think like, oh, I'm just going to kind of shift this over. I'm going to outsource this to somebody else. It's like, no, we really need, and I, I would even say this to our church as a whole, my kids need you guys to be living out your faith. That I'm not going to outsource it to you, but I do need you to model it. I do need you to live it. I do need it to be real and alive to you. That my, my kids are going to need more and more aunts and uncles as they continue to get older in this church. But I think the encouragement that Ian, uh, Ian is, is so powerfully giving us is that we need to take ownership for our real identity in the body of Christ. And friends, we are a priesthood of believers. That it's all of us. It's not about just the things that happen up here. That I want the worship of this church to be an extension of, of worshiping people. I want the teaching of this church to be an extension of people who are reading their Bibles and growing in their relationship with Jesus and that we're just kind of continuing to do that collectively. And then even as we do other things with kids ministry and maybe youth ministry in the future, all these sort of different things, those become an extension of people that are taking their place in their priesthood of believers. They're taking their place in their relationship with Jesus and that what we do collectively is an extension of that. It's not the be all to end all. Does that make sense? Cool. Thanks. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. Why don't we just stand as we close here today? And um, yeah, I just, um, it's kind of different. You know, I, I, I think there's kind of a, a meatiness to a message like this. It's just a bit different. And I, I think that aside from you know, kind of the background and some of the teaching aspects, I think it's because it's a pivotal thing in our lives. And, and my encouragement today would be wherever we are at right now, wherever I'm at, wherever you're at, I think the challenge from the Holy Spirit is to go to the next level. That's what I think it is. I, I, think, it, I think, especially given the days we're in, you know, as I... Honestly, I have to watch how much news I listen to, how much I read, because some of the stuff I'm reading with, when it comes to the church and some of the things that are happening, I just, I just go, oh, God, this is tough. Like, this is my dad. Picture my dad back in mid-60s. This is not the world he was pastoring in. This is not the church he was leading. This is a totally different era. Yet God says, yes, Ian, but there's grace for you. There's grace for this time. And there's grace for the people that are alive now. You know what? God knew that you would be alive right now. He knew you would be here. And because he knew you'd be here, he knew you would be able to steward your children through this time. He knew you would. And he knew that all of us would be able to represent him in our jobs, in our workplace, in our schools. He knew that. So let's pray right now. Let's just invite him. And can you just close your eyes with me? And this is a personal thing. This is just us reflecting on where we're at, what God is saying to us. But I just want to encourage you right now just to, to, to consider, where are you at today? Where are you at? And what would be the next step for you right now? What, would, what is God saying to you 
is the next step. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that you need to embrace that there's more that he's given you and that you are equipped and that there's something in you that he wants to send out to the world and that he wants you to not walk in timidity anymore, not walk in fear anymore, but he wants you to step into it. Maybe it's just the fact of, of not realizing and God's opening your eyes and saying there's more, there's more. And it's not just more for the church. It's not just more for Forerunner, which I believe there is more. It's more for you. It's more for you. And he's saying, I want to put a tap on you. I, I want to I tap into what I've given you because there's more for you. Whatever it is, can you just, just ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today out of this? Is there something you're telling me? Where am I at? Just, just ask that right now and see what he says. And then the second question I ask is, whatever he tells you then, what's the next step this week? What's the next step this week? What does he want you to do with it? Now I'm just going just gonna to ask, just so I know who I'm praying with, just if you've gotten something, if God gave you something, some, something specific as to where you're at, and some action that you need to take. Can you just slip your hand up for me? I want to pray with you today. Okay, see the hands. I'm going to pray for you right now. And for myself. <laughs> Father, we just thank you today. That you love us. And that you're calling us to another level. Whatever that means for each of us. I just believe for each of us there's another level somewhere. And I believe you'll show us that. And so Father, I pray that you would help us as we step forward now. I pray for those that are clear about what that is, that we would move forward. Maybe there's people here, they're not clear yet, and that's fair. And they, they, need, they need to hear from you more about what else you might be saying. Lord, I pray for, for anyone in that place, that you'd speak to them, you'd show them, they'd hear your voice. But pray for those that feel clear, that sense the next step this morning. I ask you, give us grace. I ask God you'd help us this week. Show us how to live. Show us how to posture ourselves. Father, help us to be in the flow of what you're doing by your Spirit. I pray, God, that you'd fill each one with a fresh sense of your Holy Spirit this week. And God, this isn't about works. This isn't about just trying to do stuff. This is about you empowering us and following you in your lead. So I pray that for every person in this church. And I bless them right now. And I pray, Lord, if there's any mindset that needs to shift today, any type of wrong thinking that I talked about. I pray it help each person. And we just thank you that we're a priesthood of believers, that God, we are called together as a treasured possession of you, as a holy people, to walk out your purposes in this earth and represent you. Guide us and lead us in that and bless each one. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. You guys are awesome. It's nice to have a good crowd here. I do appreciate the one service because it it, it's really cool. God bless you. If you do want prayer, let us know. We can pray with you today for sure. Otherwise, have a great day. Have an awesome week. And we'll be back next week for Easter Sunday. It's going to be good. See you guys.